You're listening to the Woman Who Chat podcast with me, your host, Sandra Garlic. A podcast where I chat to women in business who share their knowledge and their business journey, including their top tips, especially for you. But not only that, you'll hear their inspirational stories too, the real authentic version, because life and business is actually a roller coaster. I'm the founder of Woman Who, and I help you to power up your personal brand and get visible. I teach you the simple steps to get where you want to be. I help you to find your story and create the opportunities for you to share it confidently on stage, in print, and in other media. I'm delighted to bring this podcast to you each week to inspire and motivate you so that you can achieve in the future. I'll be sharing my knowledge, insights and stories too. Enjoy this week's podcast. Woman Who Chat is sponsored by Grow Radio. Grow Radio is an online radio station dedicated to bringing you a different podcast on the hour, every hour. I'm proud that Woman Who Chat is played on Grow Radio every Tuesday at 3pm and Friday at 8am and to be part of their podcasting community. If you want to listen to the station, explore their shows, get your podcast onto Grow Radio and check out many of the blogs to improve your podcasting skills. So head over to growradio.uk today. Welcome to Woman Who Chat. And today I'm talking to Louise Dillon of Armadilla Social. Hello. Hello. It's great to have you here. I've known you for quite a long time. Uh, yes. <laughs> and you've been involved. You've entered the awards previously. You won an award last year. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So tell us what you're doing now. I run Armadillo Social. And Armadillo Social is a digital marketing agency. It's been going, it's going to be its 10th birthday this year which is quite exciting so I'm trying to work out what to do about that I think at the moment the focus on it has changed a little bit certainly changed from when it started so for quite a while I would manage company social media accounts for them so I would do the whole sort of digital management package for them run their social media accounts all of that kind of stuff but I always found it slightly unsatisfying for reasons we can talk about in a bit more depth but now I'm much more concentrating on the strategy behind people's marketing but also getting people engaged and involved so if you've got a marketing strategy how do we get your team engaged in that how is everybody in the company helping to talk about your company in a really positive way so I'm focusing really running training sessions and working around that to really give people the skills to make the most of what they're doing. And, you know, I had a team in my first business. I had, you know, a solicitor's practice and I had a team working for me. And sometimes you've got all the ideas as the business owner. You know where you want the business to go. You know the language you want to speak. And sometimes it's really like dragging people through treacle to get them to speak the same language as you. So do you find that a lot of, you know, companies are like that, you know, that the team seems disconnected from where the owner wants to take the business? Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think we talk a lot about when we talk to business owners, we talk about their values and their vision and their purpose and their why and all of these things. And so often they don't tell their team that and that doesn't get communicated and that passion doesn't you know, infiltrate down. So it's how you can get your team really passionate about what it is that you do and also give them the skills. I mean, we let our you know, we wouldn't let our team members go to a networking event or go to and speak at a conference on our behalf without any guidance, without any training, without any sort of support. But we just let them go off on social media and do what they like and hope for the best and assume that it's none of our business as a business owner. So it's how you bring all of those people together. Yeah. How did you get into sort of digital marketing and social media in the first place? So this is a slightly, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's an odd story for a woman of my age at all, but my background was in television. So I used to work for my career at Sky. I bought and commissioned documentaries for the History Channel, the Biography Channel and the Crime and Investigation Network. So Nazis and serial killers, very much my specialist subject. And then I had two children. We moved out of London, we moved back to rugby, and I didn't want to go out and get a job because I wanted to be around for my children. There's not a lot of TV work available in rugby. I didn't want to commute to London. So I just looked around from what what I could do. And really, you know, my skills were watching television and having lunch. So I thought literally, I'm quite good on Twitter. I like Twitter. Let's see if I can make a job out of Twitter. And literally my husband said, Louise, you don't have to tell me that you're going to go from watching telly for a living to back and about on Twitter for a living. And I was like, yeah. At the time, it really wasn't anything to do with marketing. And not <laughs> I had experience of marketing in that I had worked with the marketing department, but I certainly wasn't the marketer. But at the time, it didn't really matter because marketing people didn't know anything about social media either because it was so new and it was so evolving. We were all kind of learning as we went along. And I really found that being active on social media really used all of my skills that I'd learned in television because it was all about how you communicated with people, how you spoke to them in language that they understood how you got your passion and your expertise and your knowledge across in really understandable ways. So it kind of grew from there, really. And it's the kind of business that grew. I started it properly when my youngest son started school. So I was doing that sort of school hours, not school holidays sort of thing. And then it's, you know, evolved. Yeah, but I don't think that's a particularly, you know, I think there are a lot of women who have built their business in the same way for the same reasons absolutely I think that's why there are so many in business now women in business now who work flexibly in that way so that they can be you know they're not the kids aren't latchkey kids and you know they can flex their time around around their family commitments you know and that's a choice that lots of women make now but 
I mean, years and years ago, that wasn't the done thing, was it? You know, you gave up the corporate world and people just looked at you aghast and said, you're really going to give that that all that career up? You know, it was there was a lot of pressure. But I don't think today, I think women giving up and starting businesses is very much a done thing, isn't it? And probably even 10 years ago, there was more women doing it. But as you say, the Internet, social media was new, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yes, yeah, so there was Twitter. I didn't was Instagram around then. Yes, but definitely, you know, Facebook was around, Twitter was around, but it certainly wasn't the kind of, you know, wild west that <laughs> it seems to be now. What's your favorite social media channel? I mean, honestly, I go in, I go in cycles. So in my heart, I would say my favorite has always been Twitter. I really loved Twitter. I loved being able to talk to people who were interested in the things that I was interested in, even though I didn't know them. I made great relationships on Twitter with people. I had no idea who they were or where they lived. The conversation was brilliant. I loved all of that. But I haven't actually really been on Twitter since Elon Musk took over. I took a very kind of, this is not going well. I don't like this. It got quite toxic and it got quite, it just wasn't as nice as it used to be. So I would say currently, currently my favourite is LinkedIn. And I think I think LinkedIn has really changed over the past couple of years. And I think it's become much more like Twitter in that all the best bits of LinkedIn are more like Twitter in that it is people talking about things that are important to them and making connections with people who share those, you know, share those values and also find those things important and interesting rather than the kind of more networky, salesy thing that maybe LinkedIn was when it started. I remember when LinkedIn was in very early days and I remember I ran LinkedIn training sessions for professionals because nobody really knew how to use it. And I kept saying, this is the thing you need to be on. It's about building relationships. It's about, you know, putting yourself out there. It's not a static TV, but people didn't quite get it. And it's only more recently it's become what I always dreamed it would be. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think lockdown has made, and you always get the kind of, this isn't Facebook, people on LinkedIn. But I think lockdown changed that because I think the kind of conversations that we used to have at work, making coffee, chatting in an open plan office, all of that kind of stuff had to move on to LinkedIn because nobody was in the office anymore and nobody was meeting anyone. So that kind of more informal conversation, which is the stuff that builds relationships, I think that's what's really changed over the past couple of years, which is a good thing. Yeah. So let's look at your business journey. What would you say has been the biggest challenge for you as a woman in business? I think definitely that whole, you know, that whole flexibility issue. And I think around having to make those choices in terms of how you can invest and grow your business. So, for example, you know, every networking event you choose to go to, especially if it's a breakfast or an evening or anything, is time that you're not spending with your children. So there's a cost to that. That's a So you have to really make those decisions. You can't just go to everything and hope for the best because you've got commitments and you've got pickup and you've got all of those, you've got beavers and all of those kinds of stuff. So I think that's, so I think that's been the main challenge and accepting that actually, I think if I'm honest, I think it took me a long time 
and some coaching and some therapy to realize that you can't actually in that you can't have it all because it's really tiring and I I went to a girls grammar school where we were taught that we were all going to be brilliant and marvelous and the world was our oyster but also I grew up with a dad who worked really hard and was very successful and a mum who stayed at home and catered to our every whim And I think it took me a couple of years in business before it hit me that I couldn't be both of those people. I couldn't give everything to both things because it just literally wasn't possible. There wasn't enough hours in the day. There was only one of me. So I had to be kinder to myself about that. Actually, yes, I can work really hard and I can be around for my children and I can be happy with those with that compromise I think as women as well we do tend to take on the caring roles it's just inherent in what we do whether that be for children or for family members but we feel we've got to do everything we feel we've got to be this super businesswoman you know that's rushing around cleaning the house answering emails looking after children and family members cooking the best meals you know turning up spick and span for meetings and we really do you know you see those cartoons of spinning plates but we feel we have to be that and I think with women talking about it more being more open about it and be more honest you'd just be on your knees wouldn't you I remember that do you remember years before zoom became a thing that clip of that man giving the BC interview from Korea when his toddler came in and it like went viral for you know man gets interrupted by child I'm thinking I've done conference calls with a toddler on my hip, making a shepherd's pie. But, you know, this women do this all the time and no one bats an eyelid. But we feel that somehow we shouldn't. And I think about, like, I grew up in the 80s. So if someone, if you did that kind of free association and somebody said, you know, tell me a woman in business, I'd go Alexis Carrington. That, that's <laughs> Joan Collins. That's who I think of. And that is not me. <laughs> There were not many role models around, were there, at that time? Apart from the women on TV who were TV presenters, of which there were few, but there was not business women role models that you could aspire to be. And I think social media has helped that in a way. Really helped that, yeah. I set up Woman Who to create women in business role models that were everyday role models, women like yourself who've got a story, who can maybe just inspire one other woman and they become role models to each other. You don't need these women who are high flyers who seem to have it all, and got, but they've really got nannies and everybody doing everything for them. You want real women who tell real stories to inspire others, really. And I think now there are those role models around. Yeah. I always ask when I'm chatting to women is if you could give a piece of advice or a business tip for our listeners what would that be I think that it would be to I think it really genuinely would be to be yourself so you can't you have an image of what you think a business a woman in business should be but you can't do you can't do that you can't keep it up so actually especially online especially on social media actually just being yourself and being your authentic, the authentic you. And people will respond to that. And the people who want to do business with you will do business with you because they like you. And if they don't like you, fine, they can go and do business with someone else because there's plenty of us all to go around. 
And I think that, you know, that's so true. We do need to be more ourselves. And you do, you young women today, young girls today, they look at these perfect people and they say, oh, I want to be just like her and have her life. But they don't really understand what that life is because you only see the good bits. And it's nice yeah. that we do have all authentic- What you see with me is you get warts and all. <laughs> I'm always <laughs> honest. I'm always open, as you'll see in the academy. But, you know, I think we need more women to be like that, actually. Sometimes, some days you get out of bed and it is a struggle. Sometimes, you know, you really don't want to put your happy face on. And there are challenges around, around business and what you do, both personally and professionally. I'm delighted to announce that the Woman Who Achieves Solopreneur Awards 2023 are open for entry. A solopreneur is a woman in business who works on her own as a sole trader or sole director. All the information you need and the entry form is on the Woman Who website. Celebrate your achievements and enter the Woman Who Achieves Solopreneur Awards 2023 today at womanwho.co.uk. Now back to the podcast. I absolutely love networking and I'm hosting a Woman Who Live and Lunch in Birmingham on Friday, the 22nd of September. You'll hear inspiring speakers, make great new connections, and we'll also announce the finalists of the Woman Who Achieves Solopreneur Awards 2023. To book, simply visit womanwho.co.uk. Now back to the podcast. to talk to you about and I always ask women about challenges in their business journey and probably what we didn't touch on when we chatted before during your business journey that actually you disappeared from view yeah so we had Louise Dillon we had Armadillo Social and you were out there you were conversing on social media channels and overnight you disappeared tell us a little bit about that and what happened so it was and I say it did happen very quickly so it was July 2019. I'd been running the business for about six years by that point. Everything was going well. I had lots of retainer clients. I had people working for me. I had a PA. It was all going brilliantly. My children were 13 and 10. So Fred, my eldest, was 13, and Arthur, who's my youngest, was 10. And yeah, so it was July. And Fred was feeling a bit off colour, but nothing, you know, out of the ordinary. I, he, yeah, he'd been feeling a bit of colour during the week. I'd gone to Bristol to deliver a training session on a Friday. And they said that he, I got a call to say that he was sick and he wasn't feeling very well. Could he be picked up from school? So I was like, well, I'll be Bristol. I'm running a training session. Okay. His granddad picked him up from school, brought him home. That was all fine. He was still feeling a bit under the weather and his glands were a bit swollen. So I decided over the weekend that he had dandula fever. And I actually had tickets to Barbara Streisand in Hyde Park that weekend. And I saw Vandenard and I thought, well, actually, if he's got glandular fever, he's going to be ill for a while. His dad's perfectly capable of looking after him for the day. I'm going to go to Barbara Streisand anyway. So I went to Barbara Streisand. It was all fine. Stayed at a friend's house. 
And the next morning, he still wasn't very well. So I said to my husband, I think you need to take him to the GP. And this remains the only time my husband has ever taken one of the children to the doctors. So my husband took him to the GP. The GP said, yes, it's glandular fever, but we're just going to get some blood tests to confirm. Husband took him off blood tests. Four o'clock, I was standing in the middle of Trafalgar Square, got a phone call from Coventry and Warwickshire Hospital, A&E, to say, I've just got the results of your son's blood tests and you need to bring him to A&E now. Wow. So I was like, okay, I'm in the middle of London. Phoned my husband. My husband took him to A&E. I rushed back to get the train, had to do the whole thing of changing my ticket. Got on the train, got off at Coventry. My sister picked me up from the station, took me to A&E, was met by my husband, who said, met me in the car park to say that Fred had leukemia. So completely, you know, completely out of the blue within a couple of days. So obviously everything just collapsed. He was kept in, obviously was kept in hospital. I remember sitting up because obviously I couldn't sleep. I was with him sitting up at two in the morning, messaging like my PA and my clients and just saying this has happened. I don't, you know, what do I do? And luckily, I say I had great people working for me and they all said, leave it with us. We will handle everything. We will, don't worry, just, we've got this. And so I literally disappeared. He was transferred to Birmingham Children's Hospital the following day where they started his chemotherapy. So it literally went from, he's a bit off colour, go to bed and have some water to chemotherapy in like 48 hours. And yeah, so I did, I did disappear for, I disappeared for nine, more longer than nine months, but my, my team will manage to carry on my retainer clients, any kind of business development or that kind of stuff just finished. And he had fairly intensive hospital treatment for nine months and then he died. So he died in May, 2020 in the middle of COVID. It was in the middle of lockdown. So it was, I mean, it was just, we need far longer than this podcast to say, it was just terrific. So I obviously then had to take some time off to recover and I didn't probably take as much time off as I needed, Um, but I came back to work, but I was coming back to work in the middle of lock, you know, in the middle of lockdown, in the middle of, I I liken it to that, you know, that scene at the end of Planet of the Apes where Charlton Heston suddenly realises that's the Statue of Liberty and like the world has completely imploded since he's been away. It was a little bit like that. Um, The retainer clients, I had more or less, I managed to cling on to them while Fred was ill, but then lockdown had just finished them off because they couldn't afford to carry on marketing when their businesses were shut. I couldn't be there for them in any kind of way. So by the time I came back to work a couple of months after Fred died, business had basically was just, I was starting again from ground zero in the middle of, you know, the apocalypse. Mm. So that was, what's that? That's two and a half years ago, really, coming up to three years ago. And basically I've been building my business back up since then and just trying to come to terms with what has happened, but also yeah, just rebuild, you know, find a new way to be, I think. 
And I think that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people have had to rebuild their businesses out of the pandemic. So that that's not unusual in itself. But I think to rebuild your business when you've got that, when you're grieving, in effect, you are grieving for your son, for Fred. How do you take that and then say and motivate yourself to actually say right I'm going to get go forward because you could so easily have thrown in the towel Louise and just said I can't do this anymore yeah I think on the one hand I'm quite stubborn so I don't like giving and I was really and I was quite stubborn about it because also as we talked about in our last podcast I had given up my career which I loved when when Arthur was born, you know, I'd given up my career for my children and started again and built this thing. And you and were, so li- your career was in TV, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely, which I loved. It was my dream job. It was all I'd ever wanted. And I built this business that I also loved and was also going really well. So there was a part of me that was like, I'd be buggered if I'm giving this up and, you know, giving this up as well. And it was trying to cling to the things that mattered and to to build on the things that mattered but also you know it has been really difficult because I don't and it has been a very slow process because I think people really underestimate the sort of physical effects that grief has so in terms of my kind of energy level determination that really changed and that was really hard. So I've had to be, I've had to get very good at being kind to myself and knowing what I'm capable of and knowing when I need to rest and knowing when I've got energy and working that out. But in some ways, I think, in some ways it was quite helpful because I think before Fred was ill, I was quite, I was often quite anxious. I often worried about what people thought. I got very worried if people were unhappy with something, you know, if I thought a client might not like something or, you know, I really cared and was really bothered by things. But actually these days, and not that I don't care, but I don't, things aren't as important. So I'm allow, I allow myself, I think, to be much bolder because nothing will ever matter that much. The risks will never be that great. So it's given me a bit more sort of freedom, I think, to just say, yeah, whatever. Let's see what happens. And how do you want to use this experience, if I can use the word use as such? But you want to educate people. You want to help people. You want to talk about Fred. You want to talk about grief. How are you How are you planning to do that? What's your mission from that experience? I think... So I think people, so yes, so I think we're just so bad at talking about it. We're so bad at talking about grief and we're so bad at talking to grieving people. And I say, I feel very passionately that I am, you know, a terrible thing has happened to me and my family, but I'm still the same person. I still have the same fundamental character, personality, interests, all of those things, even though in many other ways I am fundamentally changed. And I think what I became very aware of was the terror in people's eyes when they look at me or when they confront, when they come across me. And I, you know, would joke to friends, say, I feel like I get, I feel like getting a cloak 
so I could just wander around the village looking, you know, looking bereft. And I would say, and I think people would divide themselves into two columns. So you either get the utter terror or the sort of softly spoken head tilt in a like really gently, are you okay? Both of which are really difficult. So I think what I really want to do is help people. And it's not because people are mean and it's not because they don't want to be supportive. And it's not because of any of those things. People genuinely want to be kind and people genuinely want to help, but they are terrified because they don't know what to do and they don't know what to say. And they're terrified of getting it wrong and the consequences of getting it wrong. And I think if we, if I talk about my mission, I think it's to help people know how to get it right and know what to know what to do and not be scared. And I think the more people, the less people are scared about it, the less we can all talk, the more we can all talk about it and the better it will be for everybody. Because I, I suppose in some ways, when you lose somebody, you know, I lost my dad. It's not quite the same. You, I don't think you ever get over losing a child. But losing my dad, he was my best friend. You know, again, in lockdown, we couldn't grieve properly. We had one of those lockdown funerals with five people. It was all that sort of time. But I want to talk about him. I want to remember him. I want to remember the funny tales, the funny jokes. And yet my mum wouldn't let me talk about him for so long because it upset her. Yeah. And sometimes you've got to be aware of how people want to, you know, some people need to talk about lost ones. They need to talk about their loved ones. And it's really how you start those conversations. I remember a friend of mine lost a child and people used to cross the road so they didn't have to communicate with her because they didn't know what to say. Yeah, absolutely. Very hurtful. Yeah. And I think it's difficult because I'm someone who has always been very sociable and I've always been quite chirpy and I don't and that kind of being the one that everybody's frightened of Mm. is a loss in itself on top of the loss of Fred actually the loss of being seen as the person that I used to be is really difficult but I suppose you have to balance that with you know talking about it educating people helping people you've got to balance that with not being known as the woman who lost Fred because you are a businesswoman, you're a successful businesswoman and you don't want the business just to be known for that. So it's almost like a fine balance between the two. Yeah. And actually, I think it, and I think it's something that I've really struggled with and I think it's very much in terms of it is a time thing, but I, and I have to say, you know, joining Woman Who and Woman Who as a networking event has been so great because I have not been to any networking events in the past two and a half years. And the reason I haven't is because I don't know how to introduce myself. I don't know how to, you know, I can, whenever, you know, people will say, how many children have you got? And I have to work, I've, you know, now managed to be okay with that question, but that took quite a while for me to do that and now I feel I can you know I can go into a business setting I can go to a networking meeting and I can be I can be me without that being the thing that I carry in front of me all the time and but it's that kind of but also I think part of the education is you can be both of those things you can be a grieving person and also 
someone who is quite happy to talk about, you know, the traitors or all of it's not, are you sad? Are you not sad? Are you grieving you better? That's not how it works. I suppose it's a journey as well. Um, You don't want want to forget Fred. He existed. He was special to you. He was part of your family. But obviously that can't define who you become in the future. I think it's a mix of the balance of remembering him, talking about him, helping others. But you are a successful businesswoman as well. Uh, And and you you won an award, you know. I did win an award. (laughs) (laughs) That was lovely to see you collecting that on stage. But yes, it's a fantastic journey that you've had. And, you know, hopefully Woman Who can help you in carving out that story and help you deliver that story in a way that helps others as well. If you could speak to yourself right now, probably throwing you on the spot here, what would you say to yourself that, you know, if somebody was approaching you now and they and you were talking and you tell them about Fred, what would you want them to say to you? I think, so I think now, so I think now I need very, you know, I now I need very different things. So I think if I, if somebody asks me about Fred, I think the real, the I think the thing I don't want them to say is how did he die? I don't want them to say that. What I want them to say is what was he like? And I think that, and I think that's really important. And I think have people, you know, and think in terms of people who have kind of newly bereaved when nobody knows what to say and everybody's really frightened. I think all that you can say is, I'm so sorry that's happened. And that's all that people need. That's all that people need to hear. They don't need to hear anything to make it better, anything wise, anything, you know, profound. They just need to hear, I'm really sorry that this has happened to you. Yeah. It's been fascinating talking to you about this and talking about, obviously, the journey and, you know, Fred dying and how you've coped with that. I think, you know, women or even men listening to this will take something from that. But I think, you know, it's great that you want to educate people. It's great that you want to share that experience. And I would just like to say thank you for trusting me and sharing that with me, because I know it is a difficult subject to discuss I try not to say the wrong thing. I don't know whether I say the right thing. I hope I've made it a comfortable environment for you to chat about Fred and about losing him. But I think, you know, moving forward, I would love to help you craft that story and share it to help others. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Woman Who Chat podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Join me next week for more inspiration, learning and top tips. In the meantime, visit womanwho.co.uk to find out how you can start your Woman Who journey or even feature on a future podcast. You can also join the Woman Who Achieves community on Facebook. The link is in the show notes. There, you'll get the opportunity to network, find support and make new connections with over a thousand women in business. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's podcast. And if there are any topics you would like to hear, just get in touch with me, your host, Sandra Garlick.